0: Well, good morning. As we uh, turn to this time of hearing God speak to us through His Word, um, we want to first turn our attention to, to prayer uh, so that uh, God would, would allow us to hear fully, uh, to unstop anything in our hearts or our ears or our minds, um, and that He would work in us. So let's do that. Uh, let's, let's come before the Lord and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we first of all thank you that you have given us this word, a word to not just live by, but the, a word that guides us and shows us who you are and tells the story of your redemption. As we come to the, the, our passage today, again through the Gospel of Mark, uh, stories that, that we pray that it would not just be a story about Jesus, but that this would actually be uh, the word of Jesus brought to us, that we would be brought into. Um, that actually he would be brought out of these pages and to us, uh, that your spirit would be making known uh, to us and working in us uh, the great power and beauty and majesty and condescension of Jesus to us. Uh, We pray that in this time he would become more beautiful to us than he was before. Lord, forgive the, sin, the sins of the, the man who's standing here preaching, for you know that they are many. Uh, work through weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we've been going through a, a series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're just a few weeks in. And today we find ourselves in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 39. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there uh, in the, the New Testament. Uh, but let me go ahead and read for us our passage that we have today, and let's pay careful attention because this is the very word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit given to us. And they, being Jesus and his disciples, and they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, A new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Amen. Authority is the basic relationship structure that God has put in the world. And before we consider relationships of authority among us as people, we first need to remember the highest authority relationship. And that's God over everything and everyone else in the world. Over every creature, every person, every government, and every social institution. And as a whole, we as people have this complicated relationship with authority. We oftentimes see it as a necessary evil or something to buck against. And, that's, and some of that is because we've witnessed too many abuses of power or authority. Of power being held over others not to serve and to steward, but instead to be served. It happens in families, and marriages, it happens in governments, in workplaces, it even happens in churches. And so when many of us hear this word authority, it becomes something that needs to be thrown aside or, or bucked away. But God is everyone's highest relationship of authority. Whether you realize it or not, or even whether you accept it or not. And yet, even as God has authority over everything, it's not a necessary evil. It's not something to be cast away. God is the sovereign over everything, but he's also the fount of everything good. He's caring and he's just. And when earthly authorities misuse their power, they're still accountable to him and to his justice. See, authority isn't wrong. But the way that it's exercised can sometimes be wrong. And our next passage that we have in Mark here begins with Jesus walking into a synagogue and his authority is soon recognized. And not only by the people who are listening to him, but also by the supernatural forces. And what is the nature of his authority? Where does it come from? All right, you can think of someone having authority in one of three ways. Authority can be given. right? Sometimes authority is conferred upon someone. An employee gets promoted over her peers and she becomes the new boss. Peers are elected into office. right? Uh, uh, hu- or people are uh, elected into office. A husband and wife are given new relationships as parents as moms and dads with the birth of a new child and then that comes with authority also doesn't it well authority can be given but it can also be taken power can be usurped and relationships change among leaders elite, among leaderless people leaders will inevitably rise to the top or it can also though be inherent and this is god's authority He is it is inherent with him because he is the Lord over all. He can't not cease to be authoritative because he is inherently at his core the authority over everything. And so what about Jesus then? What is the nature of his authority? Well, it wasn't given here, it wasn't conferred upon him in this moment, or it wasn't something that he was promoted into. His authority wasn't taken. In fact, it's quite the opposite. As the eternal Son of God, he actually laid aside his divine privilege as he took on humanity and he lived in our world. And he even lived under the earthly authorities who ended up crucifying him. But rather, though, his authority is inherent. It's inherent because he's God. He spoke with authority, he acted with authority, he loved and he cared with authority. And it's something that we all then need to take seriously. He has inherent authority over your life and over my life. It doesn't matter whether we recognize it or not. And if you're considering casting aside his authority because he has hard teachings, or you're not willing to listen to everything that he says, well, it's going to be a losing endeavor. But instead of pushing it away and inevitably making yourself the authority then, then why don't you instead, though, see the goodness of Jesus having authority? Because he doesn't use it in the human ways that we're accustomed to. And so our sermon this morning is only going to have two points. We're going to look at the authority that Jesus has, and then we're going to look at how Jesus uses and exercises his authority. And so let's first look at the one, the authority that Jesus has. Uh, Jesus has just called his first disciples here, Simon and Andrew and uh, James and John, and now it's the Sabbath day. And so naturally, they go to the synagogue service to worship and to hear the scriptures, which for these people was the Old Testament. They hear the scriptures read aloud and expounded upon. Now imagine the scene. They've just read whatever passage that it was from the Law or the Prophets that morning, and then Jesus gets up and he begins to teach from them. Now, first of all, that would be an incredible experience, wouldn't it? Just being able to hear Jesus teach. And these worshipers in the synagogue that day, they're astonished by it. That's what it says in verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching. Where it says that for he taught them as one who had authority and not of the scribes. It was an astonishment because this was something that they hadn't heard before. Jesus spoke with a command and authority that was new to them. But this astonishment also had a little bit of discomfort to it because he was addressing them in ways that they hadn't been addressed before. And it caused them to tremble. Was it his words? Was it the content? Was it the way that he spoke with his command and a passion? Well, the answer is yes to all of the above. But the sort of teaching that he gave wasn't something that they were accustomed to. And to be fair, I don't think any of us would probably be accustomed to it either. But what Mark tells us is that he taught them in a way that wasn't like those of the scribes. Those who were trained in the Old Testament and who spent all of their days sitting and pondering the scriptures and teaching them. Now you, can, you know that you can spend a whole lot of time talking about something without really actually talking about it, Right? We've all been there before. We've maybe been on the receiving end of hearing someone talk and talk about something without actually really getting to any real point or talking about the actual issue at hand. And the comp- that was what was the common teaching of the scribes in that day. The scribes and the elders in the synagogues did that sort of thing. They spoke all sorts of quotes about certain passages without really actually knowing what it was that they were talking about. Well, this person... Quote, you know, this person said this about it, but then again, this person said this. Well, aren't both of those nice? Right? Or they brought up all sorts of speculations. Well, God is a rock, right? Well, how do, we, how do we consider God as being a rock if God is also spirit, right? Just ramblings that get you nowhere. Or they got off on rabbit trails about all sorts of these other laws. And they spent all their time talking about the scriptures without actually talking about the scriptures, And when they did that, it took away all of its power. But Jesus stands up and he begins to talk from the scriptures and teach from them and stamp his authority upon them. He knows its power. He knows that there's no beating around the bush with them. And because he knows its power, then these people who are listening there, who are sitting in the pews, they also come to know its power. He presses it upon them in these ways that they hadn't heard before, and it brought them to their knees in astonishment. I mean, perhaps this was the first time for some of them where they really took seriously the words spoken over and over in the Old Testament Thus says the Lord. And he speaks from it, and he opens up its authority over them and their lives. See, as he elaborates upon it, it's not speculative. But rather, he explains in deeper ways how it applies to them. when What God calls them to do and what God desires of them. Ultimately, it brings out here the character of the Lord God. See, it's possible to read or to talk about the scriptures in ways that diminish its power. Right, we can spend a whole lot of time talking about its context... We can spend a whole lot of time talking about the details of the history or analyzing the characters or of certain word usage or word usages. And all the time there, we forget the power of God at work in the Word. Or on different levels here, we can study the Word merely for purposes that are related to systematic theology. And I have to say, first of all, disclaimer, if you go into my office and you look at my bookshelves, you'll see I love systematic theology, okay? But we can study the word simply for those purposes and simultaneously miss the power of God's redemptive story and of the, having the worshipful response then that our study rightfully demands. See, the scriptures have real power for us. It is the very word of God. And when God speaks, things happen. It's always been that way. Even at the very beginning in Genesis 1, God speaks, things happen. When God speaks to us, when Jesus speaks, when the spirit is working with the word, things happen. Dead souls are brought to life and faith is renewed and worship is invigorated here. Things happen when God speaks. God's word has power and it demands our respect. And part of that is recognizing its power and authority and coming under it. And allowing it to shape us and it it to shape our lives and our ways of thinking and the patterns that we go about in life. And Jesus taught with authority because he spoke from the word of God. But more importantly here, he taught with authority because he is the word of God. He had a special command over the scriptures in his use there because he knew it 100%. He was the word who was spoken. He, the, the whole word there, the Old Testament scriptures, bore witness to him by the Holy Spirit. It spoke of him. He stood at the center of them all. And he interpreted it as only God himself could interpret it. And as he taught then, this was God's voice speaking once again, Thus says the Lord. And here I am standing before you. And that's a call for us to take that seriously. That with with whatever it is that he says, he speaks with authority. As God, as Jesus here continues to speak through his word, he speaks to us with authority. And we can't just sit here as interested bystanders today reading this word. Because doing so would be to commit the very same errors that We've been hearing about here, talking about the scriptures in unprofitable ways. Jesus' words still have power for us, and they ought to astonish us in ways that mirror those who sat in those synagogue pews 2,000 years ago. Now, we don't have him preaching here right now, I'll tell you that. Uh, We don't even have many examples of his sermons that are recorded in the Gospels At least not very lengthy sermons anyhow. But we still have his word. And he still speaks to us. In John chapter 16 verse 12, there is Jesus in the upper room with his disciples on the night that he was about to be betrayed. And he tells them that he still has many things to tell them, but that they can't yet bear it. They can't yet bear it because they're about to undergo a very traumatic experience as they see their master being handed over to the authorities and crucified. But they also, though, can't yet understand because they actually can't understand yet. But Jesus tells them that the Spirit will come eventually and guide them in all the truth and that the Spirit will speak the things that he hears from Christ himself. Now, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. They were living the story that was being recorded. But the New Testament, though, as it would come to us, would be the very Spirit-inspired words of Jesus Christ himself. And whenever the scriptures are read, then, we are hearing the same words of Jesus. They bear his authority. And they exert his power to change us. It astounds us when we hear the character of Jesus um, revealed here. Uh, We hear about the mercy of God sending his son Jesus to come and to save sinners. How he came to the weakest and the most vulnerable and the unrighteous. And it's astounding to us when we really hear that. Jesus speaks with real power to us. His word calls us out from death into life. His words shine light into our darkness. It's what it did then and it's what it still does now. The word of Christ has power. Because it bears his authority. And specifically here, we also see that this authoritative teaching of Jesus, it confronts. Now, as his listeners receive this teaching, they're left astonished. This sort of astonishment at his command. It's what his teaching did to them. The teaching of a typical synagogue service was intended to expound upon the Scriptures. This, the one teaching was to open them up in, in a certain way that would allow them to have a heightened view of God and, and of his glory and of what the demands of the law entailed upon them. And so when Jesus did this, he showed them how relevant the Scriptures were by expounding upon the depths of them, showing them how deep the law went, That it wasn't just coming to them in in letter, but by spirit also. How it applied to the whole person. Because God desires the whole person. But as he opened up the scriptures to them, he also opened them up to being confronted by the commands of God. And if you've not ever recognized that they go much deeper than just simple those actions of do and don't, then you know what it feels to be confronted by God's word. It causes us to tremble precisely because it confronts our sins and the depths of it in our lives. See, his authority confronts our patterns and our habits. It provokes the idols that we secretly and we unconsciously go after. And in doing so, it shows us the way of holiness. How to let let go of those patterns of life. To let go of those idols. And, And it takes them, having them not only pointed out to us, It takes having them stripped of all of their power. As Jesus works then to free us from their grasp and he leads us into a better way of following after him. But Jesus' teaching also confronts the demonic forces and the darkness. Because as the word goes forth, it provokes the demon, this demon possessing a man there, to rise up and to make a scene. Now it's unclear how or why exactly there was this demon-possessed man in the synagogue. All right? I mean, think about how shocking that would have been if, if somehow we had a, a demon-possessed person here in the middle of our worship service. All right. now, did, did no one know that he was there? I think it most likely that he was a regular, that he was a regularly part of those services, and that there was no one or nothing that was actually compelling him to leave. In fact, I think that it suggests all this whole scene suggests this indictment of just how powerless the teaching of the scribes really was because it was weak that they, because they had spent all their time teaching and talking about the scriptures in ways that had neutered it of, its, of its power and had killed the spiritual life of this congregation. Enough so that this demon-possessed man could just be hanging out there in the worship service without any, any consequence. It isn't until Jesus starts teaching the word, bring the word with authority and with his authority that this demon is actually is confronted by the power of God and is drawn into a supernatural conflict. And this is what the word of Christ does to us and to the unseen powers that are around us. Every time his word goes forth, it wages war against the darkness. Every word of God spoken lays a hammer blow against the demonic forces which would love to trip you up, which would love to prey upon you, or feed you lies. In fact, that's how Satan and the demons engage us most. Their power lies strongest through deception. There's a reason that Jesus says that Satan's name is the father of lies, And in our times of weakness, we are most vulnerable to the sneak attacks of his whispered words and his subtle lies. That we are worthless before him. That our sins have a greater say than anything. That there is no power for us to change. But we need a better word. We need the word of God. We need the word of Christ to challenge the power of the demonic forces and to expose Satan's words for what they are to free us from the captivity of our temptations and the sinfulness that Satan loves to exploit. And this is why we need his word then spoken to us over and over. For Jesus, by the Spirit, working through his word to defend us and to lead us through those times of difficulties and to remind us that in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, that we are not guilty, and that there is no reason to, for us to heap shame upon ourselves and that there is no condemnation that can stick from anyone. Jesus has incredible authority here. The sort of authority which comes with power that only the Son of God could have. It moves us. It challenges us. It confronts the spiritual darkness and the darkness that we have within our own lives. But yet the question though isn't only whether or not Jesus has authority or over what power that he has over us and our lives. For some, it's how he uses his authority. Because many people, in fact, maybe some of you here have been trampled underneath others who have been in authority as they have, as they have abused their power and position. Now, whether or not he has a say might not, might not be an issue, but rather, can I trust Jesus in his power and authority? And so that's our second point. is isn't just that Jesus has authority, but it's how Jesus uses his authority. Now, prior to uh, being a pastor, being uh, my, my ordination years back, I was a teacher. And one of the subjects that I taught was junior high level English. And I read a number of great books with those kids throughout the the, the years. But one, though, that was always fun to teach, that I loved teaching every year, was Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. And my favorite assignment that I gave while teaching that book was was one that that was related to the power of the one ring, right? The one ring of power. And here's this ring which allows the, the wearer to wield incredible power. And even just one manifestation of that is to be invisible while wearing it. And so the writing assignment that I would give to these 13 year olds every year was what would you do if you had possession of the one ring of power? How would you use it? Would you use it for good? Or would you use it for selfish purposes? And the answers that I got were always a lot of fun, which always led to some spirited discussion in class because there were some students who would just flat out admitted that, of course, I would use invisibility for my own sake. I would use it to pull pranks or to use it to get a lot of money, usually in illegal ways. Um, but then there you had these others that said, no, I would use it for good purposes, for noble purposes, ways to help people, to help those in need. And this is where it always got interesting, because in our class discussions, the kids who said that they would use it for selfish reasons always pushed those kids who said that they would use it for good. You mean you would never use it for yourself? You would never get even with someone? You'd never even pull a prank on someone now and then? And sheepishly, they would always admit, well, maybe I would every now and then. Maybe I would on on occasion, And this is why it's so fascinating. Because here are these altruistic kids who had good motives for using power and authority, and yet still, what do they admit? That they would still use that power and authority for their own sakes every once in a while. And there it was, right there on display, that firsthand, that human propensity to misuse authority. And so is it good, then, that Jesus has this sort of authority that we've been talking about in the first half of the sermon. Well yes. It's very good. Because unlike us. Even occasionally warping. Uh, the authority that's given to us. For purposes that aren't always noble. Jesus never did that. Jesus never does that. Instead though he uses his authority. For perfect good. He uses it selflessly. And to redeem humanity. He speaks with authority and exerts his power over the evil in the world and the sickness which plagues us. He came to rescue us. And as his word then goes forth in that that synagogue there, and it provokes the demon possessing this man, he doesn't allow that man to remain in bondage to the darkness. He uses his authority rather to silence the demon and cast it out from the man. See, the demon knew who Jesus was. He announces it to everyone listening in verse 24. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus could have allowed that demon to speak a little bit more. Tell him, why don't you tell everyone who I am and reveal my divine nature to everyone? But he doesn't. He wants none of it. He silences him and he frees the man from this unclean spirit. And then afterwards they leave the synagogue And in verse 29 it says they they head across town to Simon and Andrew's home and there they find Simon's mother-in-law who's sick with a fever. And this account here is very short. But what we have though is Jesus healing her from this fever and restoring her health. He uses his authority to rid her of the symptoms of sin's curse that have come upon all of us. Now, he has nothing to gain in doing so, but you have to imagine, though, it was because of his kindness and the compassion which he has, which welled up from inside of him. But there's something that's easy to miss when we both look at the demon being cast out and uh, this woman then being, being healed, that he does so both in personal and individual ways. He speaks and he casts out the demon. And then he takes Peter's mother-in-law by the hand and heals her as he lifts her up. And in both cases, what could have he have done? He could have just spoken in each, in each instance. He could have told her, just be healed and get up. But he doesn't. He accommodates to her. He reaches out a hand. And even though he has this commanding authority, he sets aside what would actually be easier for him to just say, be healed, get up. And he accommodates to her in her circumstances. He knew them. He knew both this man and this woman just as he knows us, and he does what's best. And it continues, though, also how he does this. The word obviously gets around because in verse 32, it says that the entire town, then at sunset, now the Sabbath is over, the entire town brings out their sick and their demon-possessed to him. They're, They're lined up outside the door. I don't know how long that line was, but I can imagine it was a really long line. And he spends the entire night then healing them, he doesn't turn anyone away. If he, and you have to think here, if he accommodated to Peter's family, then you have to imagine that he would have done the same thing with each and every single one of them that came. Greeting them, listening to them, hearing their needs, and then likely healing them in a way that was individual to them in their circumstances. Now just think, Jesus could have just said a word and healed everyone in that line and cast out every demon there in an instant. He just said, All right, I'm done. But he doesn't. He allows each and every one of them to personally come to him and see him. And he doesn't leverage his authority for the sake of expediency and getting it done quickly, but so that each of them would experience the restorative power of him. Now, can you imagine how exhausting that must have been? It it started at sundown, it says. And then it goes late into the night. And then, to top it off... Verse 35 says he wakes up early in the morning to go and to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but after a late night of meetings or of taxing work, all I want to do is just sleep in the morning. But despite the physical and the emotional exhaustion that he had, he goes off to pray to the Father so that he can be prepared for another day of ministry because the disciples come and find him. Where have you been? And he says there... Verse 38, let's go on to the next towns that I might preach there also. For this is why I came out. And here's the point of all this here, as we step back. Jesus has ultimate authority. But the beauty of all of it here isn't just that he has, has authority and power, but that he uses it for others and not for himself. Over and over, we see him using it for the sake of others, He uses his own power and privileges and authority in selfless ways. He doesn't do what would be quickest. He doesn't do what would be in his best interest, but he acts in ways that are selfless and for the good of others. He's not like us. He's much better than we are. He uses his power and lays aside his own privileges so that others might benefit and see, this is intrinsic to Jesus. It's who he is. For one thing, because this is what happened, what, this is what he did when he came into the world and took on humanity. Philippians 2 says that he didn't count equal, the equality of glory and honor that he had with God the Father and the Spirit. He didn't count that as anything to be grasped. But instead, he humbled himself by emptying himself of all the privilege that he rightfully had By taking on human nature and by becoming a servant. And he humbled himself all the way then to death on a cross. In fact, the cross highlights the depths of Jesus laying his own rights aside. Why? For our good. To forgive us of our sins. To grant us righteousness. To bring peace with us with God. To begin to make us new whole people. See, there is we see the self-giving nature of God. Not only that God the Father would give his Son for undeserving and sinful people, but that God the Son and Jesus would willingly give himself for us. Of course Jesus would do this. God is self-giving and therefore so is Jesus. But we miss this so much we miss so frequently just how much Jesus cares for us that he would even set aside his own privileges for our sake. That he would set aside his power, his authority, to step in our place to free us from the bondage of sin and death. And we see more and more the insidious ways that authority has been commonly abused and used for personal gain. All right, stories keep coming to the surface about misused authority, with the reckoning coming for those who have been doing these things. And still we don't ever learn the lesson that power and authority tempt our corrupt hearts in unique ways. But that's not the case with Jesus. And it ought not then to be the case with his people either. As Christians with the Bible, we have something with incredible authority. We have the word of God. And obviously that authority was intended to be used for good. In fact, for good in Christ's name to speak a liberating word to the captives, to announce the forgiveness of sins, freedom from death, hope to the hopeless, and the ways of righteousness for those who are seeking. But for as much good as, as is intended, it's also sometimes used in careless ways. Or for ways that push people, or that push for power over people or institutions. And all the while forgetting the Jesus who stands at the center and the Jesus who put aside his own authority. And Jesus uses the word to confront, but never to dominate. And he always uses it to set people free. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then you're also called then to look at the authority which you've been given also in your own life by God and to see how you're using it. Whether it's the authority that you have in in family or the authority that you have at work, or any other place, how are you using it? It's so easy for us to use our power or our authority or whatever we have for manipulation. Husbands over wives, how are you using your authority? Are you setting aside your privilege for the sake of your wife? Are Are you loving them? Are you caring for them in these ways that Jesus cares for us? If you are dating and you're seeing this in the one that you're dating, if you're seeing them manipulating or trying to use or exert power, that would caution you to think twice about what you're doing because that's not the ways of Jesus. What are the ways that, that, that this takes place in our social relationships or at work? Or who are the people who you look up to and count as ones that you want to be like? Are they using their authority that they have in the ways that Jesus is? And if you're on the lower end, if you're on the receiving end, then that's not okay. If there are others over you who are using this authority, and you should go and talk to someone and find help. Because to follow Jesus and to shine forth his beauty means that we then also demonstrate firsthand to others how Jesus uses his authority. It's not for yourself. It's not for ourselves selfishly as something to manipulate, something that we want. It's to be used with others in mind. And friends, Jesus, who has the ultimate authority, who is intrinsic to him, the Jesus here who demands that we listen to him and listen to his authoritative word, he also shows us by example then a better way. To lay aside authority for the good of others as he has done for us all the way up to the cross. And so as his people then, liberated by this word, liberated to follow after him in freedom, may we be known not as people who are seeking power, but rather his followers who have experienced his power. People who listen to him above all and people who are characterized by humility. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, you are the one who has greatest authority. You have authority over all things. You have authority over our lives and you have given it to us by your word. And as we hear and we listen, would you make us more attentive to it? And not just to see them as bare laws, but also though to see the deep ways that Jesus has laid his authority aside in ways to bring us into your family, and has freed us then to be your people and to follow after you, to follow after Jesus in these ways. And we need help coming under your authority, God, uh, especially when, when we see how deep it really goes. So often, we want to be the ones who are making, who are making ourselves as the, the ones who have authority in our lives, but that's not the case. You are the one who has authority And would your spirit be sprinkling and inclining our hearts to love you more and to love your words more to us even though we may not fully understand why you say what you do. And help us then to use our authority that we have in humble ways. Ways that reflect our master Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.